it's like instant gratification that won't pay off in the end. It's it's uh, it's a short term solution to a long term problem. Uh, I think a lot of people use drugs and alcohol to to help them with <clears throat> maybe anxiety or or discomfort or emotions uh, and. Drugs and alcohol won't permanently fix that. It, it will only just uh, delay the feeling, uh, and, and then it makes it much more difficult in the end. I couldn't live my life anymore. It was miserable. Like all you want to do is die. There's no, there's no happiness in life. There's no joy. There's no emotion. You're a zombie, literally, like a shell of a person. It creates ideas in people's minds, you know, who who gets addicted, how do they get addicted, you know, being uh, junkies or being uh, needle users and, and in actuality, these are our children and they're in every uh, stratosphere of community. They are explorers, they are open and they are looking for answers and they're in pain and this is one of the easiest, most on the street ways for them. It's touching everybody. There's no one that's not touching. And if you think that's not true, you just haven't talked to somebody in terms of how it's affected them. It really rapes you of like all discipline and character. And after a while, it's just, you feel, you feel hopeless to the point that, you know, they're just gonna do it. And it's either death or, you know, that's it. And the only way it's going to end it is, you know, him overdosing or something like that. It makes its way up here. It's available on the market. It's very cheap. And people that are high and at risk that, you know, suffer from depression or isolation or, you know, you know, people that are just susceptible to experimenting or people that have a desire to even try it or experiment with it, you know, it's, it's readily available to them apparently to the point that they can't stop it. I perceive them as zombies. They're, it's like the walking dead. I understand. He's not in pain anymore. He didn't want to do it anymore. And that's the thing. They don't want to do it, but there's just not enough out there for them. And, and we have to be their voices because there's, there's not, there's nothing. So I made a splatter because when a person's taking a drug, it makes them go not crazy, but they just lose their mind. And the splatter represents the person losing their mind. But I personally would never take a drug because who knows what it can do to you. We suspect, I think it was probably true, that my mom was addicted to opioids, all painkillers prescribed by her doctors. I got dragged by a horse years ago and developed a hospital addiction to morphine. I'm a physician assistant, but I came into medicine late in life. I went to PA school when I was 60. And when I got out, I started working with an organization called Women of Means that uh, runs women's shelters in, in and around Boston. Our patient population is marginally housed and homeless 
adult women. About half of them have diagnosed psych disorders and or substance abuse disorders. Then a lot of them are now using heroin. The withdrawal, I was nauseous. I was in pain. I twitched. There were things about my body that I never knew existed. When I was a kid, like growing up, and I thought of addicts and, and alcoholics, you think of like bums on the street, and, and it's not. It's like everyone. I know cops that are addicts. I know like really uh, wealthy businessmen who are addicts, people who are not well off at all. It, it affects every walk of life. Like it doesn't, does, there's no specific type of person. About two days ago, I was at a restaurant and I saw a guy sniffing cocaine in the back. And that really like changed my life, saying that like, don't do drugs because you can you can end up just like a person like him. And like, after I saw him, he was acting crazy because of the cocaine that he sniffed. So like that really like told me to uh, to like don't do drugs because you can end up like him or even worse. He was like making noises. Um, he was like acting up, and then he left his money at the table and left. He left part of the cocaine on the table. He left the card and the money he was sniffing with, and it was always just like a horrifying thing to see. Drugs won't get you anywhere in life. You gotta focus on school and just focus on everything that, that will prevent from taking drugs. Going out for a drink with a friend after work one day, we just went to a place right around the corner that had all big picture windows to the street. And this guy came up to the window and started banging on the restaurant bar window and it kind of shook us. The police eventually showed up and he was lying on the ground and the police were kind of casually standing over him and they seemed to be kind of entertained by the whole thing, which was very disturbing. It was like, they're very cavalier, like they go through this all the time and the guy's laying on the ground. A, there's not enough detoxes. There's not enough beds in the detoxes. I'm so sick and tired of hearing about there's no funding. That's bullcrap. There's, there's funding. And if there's not funding, then you do fundraisers. You do something. Like these babies are dying and, and nobody's doing anything about it. Yeah, you hear all this talk and everything, but nothing's being done. I think the biggest problem is that people want to ignore it. People don't want to talk about it. People don't want to acknowledge the fact that their son or daughter, niece, nephew, whatever, could be an addict. People think of addicts as horrible people, like low-lifes, degenerates, but they're really just people who are lost. A drug can make you turn into a completely different person. I get a little angry sometimes because they always only talk about overdose, and there's so many other things that happen because of addiction. Like the fact that people are getting infections, you know, they're getting infections such as endocarditis, which is infection of the heart. They're getting infections of the spine, the hip. The, I mean, they're getting these infections everywhere, and it's all from unsafe injection practices. And, yeah, overdose is important, but so isn't this stuff. Because, you know, a 29-year-old getting open-heart surgery, that's kind of a big deal because of heroin, you know? I think we were all responsible, including her. I think none of us... I think my brother was the only one who kind of said, hang on here, we really need to take steps. And the rest of us said, well, her doctors are prescribing, and her doctors know, her doctors know her well. They continue to prescribe it. 
who are we to challenge it, really? Take steps. Don't think that because the doctor prescribed it, it's okay. Don't trust the system. Not that not don't not trust it, but question, ask. Don't just accept because the doctor prescribed it and another doctor prescribed it, another doctor. Ask. Be the voice, be the eyes that oversees because nobody else will, including the patient, especially the patient. I think just not criminalizing the people who are addicted and, and getting them help because in the end it's a disease. It's not something that they're they're not trying to be destructive to everyone else they're trying to uh, there's something underneath that they're trying to take care of and so I think programs that try to get to the root of that instead of telling them that they're bad people or like I said criminalizing them I think that that's really what we need people don't realize that there are success stories I think they think well once you start to be an addict that's what you are forever which is so far from the truth you know I know one person who used for a really long time from you know didn't start picking up when everyone else did he got in a terrible car accident got addicted and now he's married has kids owns his own home like the what you would expect a normal person to do but given their background you go okay that's success I don't think I'd be doing what I'm doing if I didn't think there was any hope I do think that there needs to be a better recognition from the larger world the greater population that this is a big issue and if we don't take really strong action that it's not going away My mother is in a horrible amount of pain. I'm, I'm taking care of her at this point, and she's 79, which isn't that old, technically. She's got spinal stenosis and degenerative disc disease, and her entire spine's kind of falling apart. She's got no use of her legs, one of her arms, and the other one's starting to not work, and she can't get anyone to give her pain meds. Now, what's going on with the scenario here, right? Someone counted 138 overdoses in my very small community, and most of them in my age group so and it's carried over into everybody's lives at this point i don't know why new england is a is a hot spot for heroin but i grew up in in maine and heroin is pretty prevalent in even the most like pretty rural parts of maine i have a couple friends that i grew up with their childhood friends we used to skateboard together and you know hang out middle school high school and you know i just haven't seen haven't seen them in a while, but um, a couple of them, you know, are now completely just strung out on heroin. They've left home. They're living on the street. I'm in recovery. I was an addict 20 years ago. I got sober 20 years ago. I'm an alcohol first and foremost, but cocaine being my drug of choice. Before me, my mother was an addict. My stepfather was an addict. They both passed as a direct result for their drug addiction. Both of them had HIV and AIDS. My two oldest sons are addicts. I lost one last year. May 20th, I found him. I talked to him the night before, and the last words he said is, thanks, Mom, I love you. And those were the last words he said to me. I've lost family members. I've lost more friends than I have fingers. It affects me in every way. Honestly, like, I've had periods of time where I lost, like, three or four people in a week just from, like, a bad batch or something like that. It's unbelievable. 
I'm 22 years old. I shouldn't have to go to so many funerals. I've been homeless. I've been in shelters. I'm a single mother of four children. I raised four babies by myself, addicted. I'm in eighth grade and I'm 14 years old. I see like all the time because like I live in the projects, so I see a lot. I see like needles in the hallway. I see people uh, smoking weed outside. It's it's like normal, but it's it's not good to see every time. My boyfriend is a social worker. One of his clients was addicted to a certain drug. I'm not sure. I saw that it was frustrating for him because it seemed that my boyfriend saw the improvements. He would be on the up and up, so I would see like really proud moments like coming home then when he would call me he's like I'm not coming home right now my clients in the hospital so I, I'd see like the frustration and the pain for him as well he always had this phrase like damn man I thought this time he would do better like he would be out on his own without supervision he thought he could make it past the temptation but then then not I know he was starting to feel burned out my family has a really strong history of uh, drug addiction to cocaine and opioids. And then also my hometown is actually one of the like centers of the epidemic. The stigma part is almost the thing that frustrates me the most because at this point, you have to look past what you think to see what's really in front of you. So if you see a person that's overdosing, rather than looking down at them and going like, ugh, realize that you can take an action and help a person. And the second you get really educated about what this is, then that stigma goes away because you understand it's not, it, at some point it was a choice, but it has evolved into something so much more than that. We are one street over from a methadone clinic. So we get people in our building that are trying to get into our office. There are people they need to keep an eye on that they remove from hanging out in our lobby of our building. Uh, it's kind of around us all the time. I don't you kind of feel a little unsafe. I mean, because people are kind of out of control around you and like there's this parallel universe going on. A lot of people in Charleston do do drugs and like you can just like turn the corner and you'll see somebody like who's like on drugs. Usually they're like stumbling, eyes like really like shut or wide open. Like, yeah. I've done them and it's just like it's not good. Like I don't like them and like I think it's just horrible for you. Like being on them, it just feels like you get anxiety and you're like scared and it's like just not good. It's not worth it. Like you could do something else to make you happy or something else to fix the problem you have if you have a problem. Like, some people may go and be going through stuff, so like, you could tell them to do something else, like go to the gym or anything like that, to like cope with what they're like going through. Part of it too is that we have the living dead, where they're alive, but they're not functioning. They don't have jobs, they have kids that they can't take care of or have lost completely. And you know, nobody has an education, people didn't graduate from high school, they have no job prospects. So I think that feeds into, well, this is what I'm doing, I might as well keep doing it. I live right on the same strip as Methadone Miles, so I see these these babies, they're babies to me. And 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 it's how can you just drive by and not do nothing and mock them and, and, and stuff like that? If you work in Boston in 2017 or probably for the past two or three years, you know that heroin now is not what heroin was 10 years ago. 
because most of it's been bumped with synthetic drugs, especially fentanyl, and so it's much, much stronger than it ever was before. So we see overdoses, and the overdoses are pretty harsh overdoses often. It used to be that one dose of, of Narcan or maybe two doses of Narcan was enough to bring somebody around. But now people say five or six or seven or, or nothing. And so we've had at least two deaths. One, a woman sitting in the bathroom who was discovered by the desk staff. And uh, we went in and grabbed her and Narcaned her and Narcaned her and Narcaned her, put her on the floor and tried to CPR, called the, called the medics, of course, right away. And uh, they came and they tried to do things, but nothing worked. And it's really heartbreaking. It's sort of like, you know, it's all for naught. I am in recovery for since June of 2006. From I'm an I was an IV heroin addict. My son is in recovery. He's been in recovery this time around a year and a half clean from heroin, and nine months clean from pot and alcohol. I am actually a recovering alcoholic myself. I have been sober for 10 months, so actively involved in the. Uh, addiction community at AA. Uh, so I have, a, I have a lot of people in my life who are affected by addiction. I have two months sober right now. I just fuels me every day thinking about the people I've lost and watching the people I know and love ruin themselves and just realizing that the only person who can get you out of this is yourself. There's no help that will get you out of addiction unless you want it. Uh, I live in Quincy, Massachusetts. I have a year and a half of recovery. Um, I'm uh, a recovery uh, advocate uh, in the state and I do spoken word poetry and I'm pretty active in the spoken word community here. This is dedicated to my friend Ned who uh, overdosed and uh, passed away in uh, July of 2015. So this is an excerpt. Nearby in the streets, Mack trucks roll through. The procession's shiny sides reflect the sun. Their columns of light pass across the slats of that same-looking Dorchester apartment. Hear the Mack truck wheels thunder. Watch the light slide across the slats and it feathers. What was that? Was that a parade of angels? I finally found my tough love, and I found that that strength within, like, no, this is unacceptable. Like, we're going to do it this way now. And then it's like, then the guilt and, and, and stuff like that sits in, like, why couldn't I be strong before my, my son Michael passed away, and why now? And because I don't want to lose another child. If you know that they have a child, then talk to them about the effects that they're having on their kids. Or, you know, you have a sick mom and, you know, your mom needs you more than anything. It's, you know, it's playing to the person and knowing who they were before they were a drug addict. Spirituality has been a big thing for me. It sort of has given me, like, a, a little bit more of a purpose. And there's something, there's something bigger than me that's, that's helping to guide me along. Also, just sort of... Uh, 
knowing where I was at and knowing where I am now, like I, I feel much better about my life and, and the progress that I've made. And just remembering, uh, remembering when was is a big thing for me, like to, to drive me to not go back to, to drinking or using. I feel hopeful that I can find better ways to cope with my emotions and things like that. Like there, I know there are better ways. So I'm just really trying to take advantage of those walk into a hall of a meeting an AANA doesn't matter and you will feel the hope radiate off people that's something that's really helped me through the way like whether you're into the god thing or not it doesn't really matter there's a lot of support and there's a lot of love in those halls I tell him stuff every day <laughs> I text him words of encouragement you know he's clean now but it's a you know you're once an addict you're always an addict and I just tell him every single day to remain strong and that he needs to give back and someday, you know, he has helped a lot of his friends in New Hampshire try to go the right way, but I'd love to see him work in recovery someday when he's ready. This has been the hardest thing I've ever gone through, but it's made us closer. Remember that there's always hope. That like no matter how many falls or stumbles, or there's always hope. As long as you're still breathing, you have a chance. I work at, as a recovery coach at Mass General. It's a long story, but I have a cousin that was an addict as well, and he actually passed away at Mass General from endocarditis, which is an infection of the heart. And when this job was posted, I felt like I needed to help people that were in the hospital because no one was really there to help him. And I also have my own struggle, so I just figured, like, being able to share my experience with others that maybe it could help them, and also share Ryan's story so that maybe others can live when he put it. Basically, I, I'm kind of there to just, like, kind of encourage other people like, that they can do this, because someone did that for me. So that's how it kind of, I guess, helps with my own sobriety, because if someone didn't do what I'm doing for me, then how could, you know, I wouldn't be here. Get educated. It's all about education because once you have the tools, then you can really help your addict. You can stand back and love them, but still give them the tools they need to do what they need to do on their own. You cannot, you didn't cause this. You can't cure it and you can't change them. You know, they've got to want to do what they've got to do, which is to turn their life around and your steadfast love is it's still there whether you're enabling them or not it just they get better faster when you're not and there's a big difference between enabling and support please don't ever even try it don't even think about it but I mean kids kids are gonna experiment kids are gonna get lost into different sorts of things just really really think about what you want in your life and where you want to go in your life and if you have any goals and dreams you're going to kiss that away if you start using